The Demon. Fighting both Lane and Idol. Back near his casket. And they're double teaming the Demon to get him down. Come on, Ben. Go to the Lane's house. Wow, they're taking it to the Demon. Rocking with all night. Party every day. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, do you realize that this is a monumental episode for us? This is our 10th test session, our 10th experiment. And Nate, I just wanted to really get at it. How are you feeling? How is this affecting you? Because honestly, I'm starting to feel the side effects. Uh, I mean, in, in the words of Antoine Fisher, I'm still standing. Still strong, still here, but I will say this experiment has revealed some things, some some enlightening things about WCW in the year 2000, a year that, not that I thought that it was some great pinnacle of achievement for the company, but it's certainly not as good as I thought it was, uh, so I, I think there's some disillusionment, some disappointment, but on the other hand, it's also nice to see some old faces and some old friends uh, like Prince Iakea and, and Norman Smiley. Yeah, but I got even that even that thrill's gone for me. I, I've you know you and I. This is what our our third show that we've done together now, and it's been interesting to sort of like compare how those, which I would say were all like fun hobbies, even re, uh, review and impact. As upset as that got us, at least there's a new show every week. We didn't quite know where it was going to go. There was twists and turns. We know where this goes, and. I would say that, like, Review America, like, that had a pretty crushing end, but doing the show was fun <laughs> until that very last episode, whereas this is just the last episode of Review America every single week, and we're really hitting the wall that I was afraid we were going to hit before, which is, it's really boring booking, it's a small roster, and it's a lot of the older guys using those creative clauses to really do jack shit. Yeah, I never thought I would say this, but I'm actually looking forward to the return of Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff here in a few episodes because while Russo was just a mile a minute throwing everything at the wall and and not giving anything time to breathe, this has the opposite effect on me where for a lot of these episodes, I've been bored, you know, save for the occasional greatness of Big T. Or save for, you know, some fleeting bit of cruiserweight action, these shows the last two or three weeks have been more boring than the Russo stuff, even if I guess objectionably it's a more coherent wrestling show. I think it is safe to say though, ten weeks in, this is starting to have some effects on 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 us. Would you say? Like I, I feel like it 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 has seeped into my bones. I remember like I read this article once about dieting and once you get past the third week of a diet your kind of palate changes and your 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 taste buds change and as long as you get past that third week 
it's it's a much easier process and we're well well past the third week and and i think that wcw has really gotten into our bone marrow it's a it's a part of us now there's no shaking it well much like caffeine or, or nicotine or any foreign substance you put into your body this has kind of rewired our brain chemistry and and so uh I feel that yes, it's it's good that we have each other to kind of bounce ideas and reactions off of. But I think that's that's the beauty of bringing in that third pot on the satellite of hate to give us some outside perspective. Because yes, you know, you and I, we're in this man. We're we're in the forest. We're in the trees, and sometimes we can't see around us. But it's good to have an extra pair of eyes that that might illuminate uh, the dark dark days of WCW. No, and you just provided me with an excellent segue there you're you're getting closer to test subject one and a half i gotta say right now we're being joined by your other podcasting brother the one that uh, you have told me multiple times that you prefer from yahoo sports and your fellow king of sports marcus vanderberg is here it's lucky i love you guys because uh two hours of wcw circa 2000 was a uh was a chore hello gents how you doing oh we're great <laughs> <laughs> now, Marcus, I'm curious. For you in 2000, what what was your wrestling viewing habits like? Was this the first time you'd watched these episodes or were you a, a WCW fan up until the end? I stopped watching probably around 99. Okay. Um and it was it was watching just Raw. So I this is all new to me. Um I had sort of heard the stories about WCW in 2000, but you know, back when you're in 2000, you really had to make a choice. You had to choose between Raw and Nitro. And I didn't love wrestling enough to actually break out the VCR and record one of the two. So I would stick to Raw. And what was the thing that finally caused you to give up on WCW? I know exactly what it was. Uh, Finger Poker Doom. I was there for that. I was live in the building for that. That was, all right, I'm done. Like, this is just like, and that was for January 99? January 4th, 1999, yeah. Yep. So that, that was about at the time and I said, you know what? This is uh this is not fun. I mean I stopped watching Saturday night, I stopped watching Nitro. Um I, I went cold turkey on WCW. I mean you you gave up on the superstation? That that's that's deep, brother. That's deep. No, I didn't give up on I gave up on WCW. I didn't give up on the Braves. I gave up on on I didn't give up on the Hawks. You didn't give up on those Andy Griffith reruns. <laughs> uh but but I I'm I'm glad you we have you here with us this week, brother, because I, there's a tie-in to March Madness, which which recently concluded. So I think there's a tie-in here, and we can use your expertise as one half of the Kings of Sport to uh, maybe educate Brother Man. Yeah, I jotted down some, some sports notes here, so I'm ready. Now, before we jump into this episode of Nitro, this is when we always want to put ourselves in the mind frame of what was happening before this particular episode came out. And as we've talked about many times here, Nate— we are in the middle of a presidential primary, and the day after this episode was actually Super Tuesday, which saw primaries across the nation. Texas Governor George W. Bush won eight states to John McCain's four, and on the Democratic side, Al Gore won all 14 states over Senator Bill Bradley. That Wednesday, both McCain and Bradley would end their campaigns, setting up Bush v. Gore for that November's Supreme Court. Marcus... During this time period, were you particularly politically active uh, in the year 2000? I was not. I was uh, 16 at the time. Probably couldn't. I couldn't care less about politics. Um, but you mentioned Bush. Missy George. Little did we know. 
Little did we realize. I know. We'd want that sensitive painter back in our lives. Yes. Ah, I do not know if I voted on Super Tuesday. I think I probably I probably didn't. Looking back now, because uh, I had my sweet Chevy Cavalier, I had my WCW Mastercard. I had I had big and better things to do, man. I I couldn't be sitting around waiting in waiting in line at at the library at the schoolhouse all day waiting to vote in the primary. But I did vote in the general. uh, But no, I, I, I don't think I participated in Super Tuesday. And I, of course, did not either. I was uh, I was in eighth grade, so that was not an option for me. Now, Nate, we've remarked in the past that the top 40 can kind of go all over the place, and sort of all you got to do is play a song on the radio enough and force it into the number one spot. It's weird when you look at the top 40 and that top spot in the year 2000. There's really no rhyme or reason. Uh, there's no specific genre. It bounces all over the place. And that was the case as this week the number one song in America was the pop country hit Amazed by Lone Star. Wow. Oh man, Lone Star. What wow. Yeah, this this one got heavy rotation. And uh I was not a fan. Uh obviously, you know, we we talked about it before. We're in this kind of transition for country music where it's getting more influenced by pop, you know, people like Shania Twain. Uh and and so I heard definitely heard a lot of pop country on the radio out here in Virginia, but I I was not a fan of Lone Star. And uh, they would later become big and rich. Really? They became big and rich? Wow. One, okay. one of the guys. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I love big and rich. One of the guys is rich, I oh, think. Oh, see? Because big and rich, to tie it back <laughs> into wrestling, yep. big and rich were part of TNA when they brought Cowboy Troy in to work with James Storm. <laughs> there you go. It's all one big circle. Now, Marcus, it, it seems like you don't necessarily remember this song. I'm curious. Nate, are you able to sing some of the song for Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> so that he can remember it. I do my best Southern drawl <laughs> to uh, give it justice, but it was, baby, I'm amazed by you. That's it. That's pretty much hey, it. Hey, Michael McDonald. Hey, welcome <laughs> to the show. Oh, oh, oh! That would not be our only Michael McDonald reference this week. I've got, I've got another one of those. Oh, good. I'm very excited. I have a Michael McDonald reference in 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 my back pocket. Oh, me too. I I keep forgetting how shitty the wall is. <laughs> he keeps reminding me. Speaking of reminding, let's go ahead and jump in and remind people just how terrible Nitro can be, because I gotta say, this was one of the worst ones we've done so far. I'm sick of you and your attitude! I'm gonna show your respect! I've had enough of you! Back off! Get out of here! What do you think of that? Monday Nitro's off and running it, and this just broke out moments ago, Mark Benton! No opening recap this week as we start on Fresh Foes, Vampiro, and Finley in a brawl backstage. We still have no idea what is causing this aggression, but we do know what binds them together. Both Fit and Vampiro have casts on their arms because they are both victims of Lex Luger. (laughs) Nate, this is the oddest part about this whole arm-breaking gimmick. None of the victims are banding together and getting revenge on Lex. Instead, they're attacking each other. Yeah, you'd think there would be some type of support group for this maybe after the show you just got a big room and buff bag was leading it hi i'm buff and lex broke my arm and and maybe that's something these guys could bond over and and rally together to get rid of luger but, but no instead we're going to uh 
fight here in, in the uh, open of this, this Nitro. Monday Nitro, tonight, from the Dean Smith Center, on the campus of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, it's the Dean Dome. Uh, you know what, though? The, this uh, event is taking place in the Dean Dome, and I texted Marcus earlier today. You know, I was like, uh, "Did you finish the episode?" And and he had some. Uh, yeah, and words. what did I tell you? What did I tell you? So he had some words I can't repeat on air uh, about how he felt about this episode. <laughs> uh, but I texted him back because I was I was uh, rewatching it just to make sure everything was fresh in my mind. Uh, and I was watching this opening segment with Vampiro and 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 Finley and Shivani welcoming us welcoming us to the Dean Dome, and I was just like, man. Dean Smith didn't die for this shit. I didn't realize this gentleman was dead. Was he dead when this happened? <laughs> he was alive at the time alive. of this show. Yeah, he died, what, last year? Oh, okay. Yeah, he died, did... he died a couple years ago. I was going to say, did this show kill him? No, it might have. I, the other thing about the Dean Dome, it's a big arena. It's, oh. We're talking 21,000 seats for basketball. And that first crowd shot, and this is in part because North Carolina, their colors are baby blue. The empty seats are just – there's no oh, way to hide out. They, they stick, stick out. out. And what do you think? Was this uh, a third of – like this was tarped off pretty heavily. Oh, I found a number. I found a number for attendance. Oh, what was it? 4682. Ooh, in a 20,000-seat arena? Yes. Damn. Uh, we go straight into action as Psychosis and Kaz Hayashi are already in the ring. Accompanying Psychosis is Juventun Guerrero who does his rock shtick off the top. Finally, the juice is in the house by the popular demand. The juicy one promises to live la vida loca before getting dropkicked out of the ring by Kaz. This is followed by a cross body to both Hoovy and Psychosis on the floor. Mark Madden is in the middle of saying how important the cruiserweight division is when the match is interrupted by Finley and Vampiro just brawling down the aisle and into the ring. It's great to see the cruiserweight division back as a real division with real competition. Real- Referee Charles Robinson doesn't know what he's supposed to pay attention to, so he just allows Fit and Vampiro to brawl around the ring. Back in match number one, Psychosis lands a top rope Frankensteiner for a two-count only. Cruiserweight champ The Artist then makes his way out with Paisley, meaning this is the second wave of interference in our opening match. Paisley distracts the ref, allowing The Artist to hit Psychosis with the cruiserweight belt, and Kaz rolls him up for the pin. So our heel champion lays out the heel challenger, allowing the babyface to steal a win. After the match, Psychosis and Hooven to double-team the artist, ensuring that nothing was achieved at all. Uh, Nate, this was a far cry from the Kaz Psychosis Classic that we had last month. You know, Brian, man, there's an old saying in North Carolina. I know it's in Texas. It's probably in North Carolina, too. It goes, fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> fool me twice, can't get fooled again. When this match started, I got excited because, like we, like we were talking about off top, Seeing some of these old faces, Kaz Hayashi, Psychosis, even Hoovy, I was like, okay, this will be a cool little opener. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is WCW in, in 2000. They're not going to let this match finish cleanly. And uh, not only did we get the interference from Finley and Vamp, which really took me out of the match, but then we got to deal with Marcus's favorite wrestler, the artist yes. formerly known as Prince Iakea, uh, coming in at the end. And... Like, I think they had the potential to really start this show off on, on, on a hot note had they not done the Finley stuff. Uh, but it, it just felt 
like they were trying to jam too many storylines in the middle of one match. There was a lot going on. Uh, the only highlight being Prince I Care coming out. I forgot who mentioned this, but somebody mentioned he's he's doing tours in Hawaii. Oh, that he he moved back and he's you can go out and rent a boat with Prince Ikea. So that's my mission uh, <laughs> in May. I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to find Prince Ikea and uh, and talk to him because he's awesome. How angry is he going to be when he's like trying to point out islands, but you're just like, whose idea was the Prince gimmick in the beginning? And he's just, <laughs> you're like trying to do a shoot interview as he's like pointing out like the, the history of these islands. I wonder. I wonder if he ever had a a call from Prince because you know Prince loves his uh, his music. He is not fans of uh, people ripping off his music, and I, I would think you could probably say that the Prince Ikea character is a, a total ripoff of Prince. At ringside, Tony and Mark give us a rundown of tonight's card. Jarrett and Heavy D will face Sid Vicious and Vampiro, while Flair and Henning will have a rematch from last week. Okay. Okay. Time. Time out. Time out. Time out. <laughs> Since, since we are in the Dean Dome, I'm going to use sports terminology. I need a 20-second timeout because I mentioned earlier that I had a uh, Michael McDonald uh, reference, and this is where we got it. When we went to the announce desk and we saw Mark Madden and Shivani, and I, I don't want to cast aspersions on Mark Madden. No, let's just <laughs> let's do so. <laughs> Although, say, real quick, we should probably point out, uh, after some tweets that we have received from Mark Madden, we should separate and we should point out we are talking about the WCW television character Mark Madden, not the yes. person Mark Madden who was still a broadcaster in Philadelphia. It gets confusing yes. with wrestling, but we are talking about this character from the year 2000. So stop with the lawsuit tweets, okay? <laughs> the character on this episode, Mark Madden, uh, he just had this look about him that looked like Michael McDonald after a week-long bender in Vegas. Like, just the saddest, most disheveled version of Michael McDonald I can imagine. And, uh, yeah, it, it made me sad because I, I just started thinking about how great Michael McDonald is and how ungreat this Mark Madden character on WCW is. In the back, security is separating Vampiro and Fit Finley. Elsewhere, in the Nashville World Order's locker room, Jeff Jarrett and the Harris brothers are watching the brawl. Jarrett says that tonight's tag match will be too easy. Uh, my actual notes in terms of the, uh, the Harris brothers were they let these dudes in the NWO word. Uh, this is like <laughs> this is rock bottom for NWO. Um, I didn't know it got this bad. Oh, this is easily the worst iteration of them, and they are the two worst members of the NWO. Has anyone done a power rankings of NWO members from worst to first to uh, worst? Uprox actually did, and the Harris brothers are dead last. <laughs> Okay, good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh, Kyle Petty Jr. is uh, is higher up. Wasn't that the, the race car driver who had the NWO car? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, Marcus is a big NASCAR fan, by the way, uh, Brian. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, as, like, as of like five weeks, yeah. I sold out. <laughs> you bought in, buddy. I bought in. In his first appearance of many, Gene Okerlund interviews Disco Inferno and the tag champs, the Mamelukes, about their upcoming title defense against the Harris brothers. Disco says that his management skills guarantee a victory at Uncensored. Johnny the Bull follows up by saying that he loves cheese sandwiches, but he won't be eating another one until they beat the Harris boys. He then holds up what was, I think, supposed to be a chopped cheese sandwich, but it was really just like a slice of unmelted American cheese between two (laughs) untoasted English muffins. We then go to the Duke campus, where Ricky Rackman is back Mm. For the best ongoing uh, angle oh in WCW, the Nitro Party Tour. <laughs> Ricky Rackman, former 
former co-host of Loveline, and that's how I became familiar with Ricky Rackman back in the day in the 90s. Were you happy to see him here? Uh, no. <laughs> I was confused because you're at University of North Carolina, and then you're going to the rival school, Duke, to do your spring break update. Doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me. You're right. This week's uh, Nitro Party was from Duke, and they were at Club Shakers this past Friday. <laughs> Rick says, this is what a Friday night looks like at Club Shakers, as he's surrounded by unfuckable white dudes with their t-shirts tucked into khaki shorts. Rackman then tosses to footage from the Campus Clash Field Games with three count. It was at this point when my wife walked in the room, and I was hoping she wasn't going to ask me, what the hell are you watching? Because <laughs> <laughs> I had well, to feel like explaining the whole show to her but she didn't thank god <laughs> well here's the thing and, and i uh, i think ryan brought it up like with 2017 eyes yes this looks dated and corny but if you're like an 18 year old dude in 2000 this looks like the most fun thing ever that does it though does it ricky rackman saying this is a friday night at shakers and there's not a woman <laughs> in sight <laughs> did you catch the upcoming itinerary for the nitro party campus tour oh i saw it next week Next week, they're going to be in Rhode Island. Brown next University. Week, they're, yeah, next week yeah. at, at an Ivy League school hosting a <laughs> Nitro party. Outside, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and Liz arrive about 15 minutes late to the show. The NWO's music plays, and out comes the Harris Boys. Jeff Jarrett doesn't even bother coming out with them. The Harris Twins are now wearing short-sleeved NWO shirts, which unfortunately makes their Nazi SS tattoos very visible throughout the match. Big Ron's opponent, Big Vito, notice the theme with the names there, makes his way down with Johnny the Bull and Disco Inferno. This match is just all basic punches. Uh, both men are heels, so the audience just doesn't care, and we instantly have interference as Heavy D distracts the ref. This allows Disco to pull Big Ron out of the match. In the confusion, Heavy D rolls in with the chain on his fist, punches Big Vito, and gets the pin. The finish is then replayed on the big screen, which causes referee Billy Silverman to reverse the decision and give Big Vito the win by DQ. The Harris brothers then run in the ring and H-bomb everybody before beating up security. What is going on with the cops, Tony? Oh, Marcus, I'm wondering, what was your first impression of the Mama Lukes and Disco Inferno? Because I've got thoughts. You know, all the offensive wrestling characters for black people, this is like the equivalent for white people. <laughs> was the stereotypical Italian meatball tag team. As someone who used to like Disco Inferno back in the day, I was kind of disappointed to see him sort of turn into a sideshow. And here's the other thing. Every week, it feels like they flip-flop the alignment of the Mamelukes because I know, I know on paper they're supposed to be heels, but it feels like week to week they go back and forth varying upon the segment and their opponents of how the audience is supposed to take them. Oh, very much so. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's – this is a show that's clearly being run by writers. And I, I mean that in the sense that this is clearly being run by people who have no financial interest in the company and <laughs> don't really care about the promotion. If you're just writing – uh, a TV show, the fact that you have characters with shades of gray, that they're, they aren't all good, they aren't all bad, that's very interesting and very nuanced. And if this was a feud between these evil henchmen and these uh, buffoonish Italian stereotypes, that might be a, a funny thing to watch on, on a television show. But in a wrestling context, you're, you're essentially doing live theater meant to provoke a reaction that is also meant to 
get people involved and to get them wanting to come to the show. This is heel versus heel. There's there's nothing here. And yeah, so the Mamelukes, based by week to week, are just in different settings based on what the story dictates. Which is defensible if this was a regular TV show, but it's not. It's professional wrestling, and the rules are a little different when it comes to storytelling. So the fact that your characters are inconsistent, it just leaves the audience confused about how to react. One, one last thing I noticed from that segment. In case you wanted to know, like you weren't sure if the, the Harris boys were, were racist, did you see what he did at the top? No respect for security. He shoved that black dude... Come on, show some respect for the law. But to be fair, in WCW's defense, they made the one black guy the cop, not just the hired security. He, he's, he was a, a member of authority. Hey, Kevin Sullivan is nothing if not progressive. <laughs> Backstage, the Harris brothers are placed under arrest for shoving said African-American police officer during the brawl in the previous segment. Why, why are we even being arrested, man? I don't understand. We go back out to the ring where David Flair comes out and we are shown a replay of the wall choke slamming crowbar through the announcer's table on Thunder. The wall storms the ring and he just ragdolls David all over the place. Daphne screams because that's what she does. The wall body slams Flair on the floor and then stacks up two tables at ringside. Wall stalks Daphne, which allows David to come from behind and hit the wall with a crowbar. As David celebrates on the turnbuckle, the wall comes up from behind, grabs him by the throat, and chokeslams Flair off the top turnbuckle through two tables. David actually does a stretcher job, and Kurt Henning, Terry Funk, and Arn Anderson run down to show concern. Henning even asks Arn, where is Rick during all of this? Even though it's clear that the fans don't want to boo Ric Flair at the age of 50, and they're especially not going to boo him in North Carolina, I think having him playing this over-the-top egotistical version of himself that's ignoring the well-being of his son is, is a pretty interesting way to turn him heel without betraying the Ric Flair character. Yeah, I think that... In a vacuum, this segment works. And then I think they allowed it to breathe, which is something that better wrestling shows have failed at, you know, letting big moments breathe. And then this David Flair spot was given some importance and it resonated throughout the rest of the show. But the reoccurring theme that I get every time I watch one of these nitros and David Flair shows up is just sadness. It's like, come on, come on, bro. What, what, why are you doing this, man? You, you trying to prove something to your old man? You trying to prove something to to your family? Don't don't. It's not worth it, Dave. It's not worth it. Uh, to me, to his credit, at least he he died out of the business early enough. I don't I don't know what he's doing now. But he runs a steel company in North Carolina. Interesting. Well, it's better than wrestling, maybe. We come back from commercial break to replays of the David Flair spot. David is shown being stretchered out while the announcers mourn the loss of this competitor on his twenty first birthday. Backstage, Bam Bam Bigelow, who uh, apparently is now the Wall's tutor, apparently this is a carrot, this is a, a wrinkle in their relationship we were not aware of before, <laughs> yells at the Wall for taking things too far. The Wall <laughs> responds by punching Bigelow, who lands on a conveniently placed table at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> what a what a flop by Bam Bam, by the way. <laughs> this this might have been my like my laugh out loud moment of the show, <laughs> and it, it it certainly was not intentional from WCW's part. But the idea that the Wall had enough force in in this punching hand, you're like he should be tank, have Tank Abbott's gimmick because he punched the, this big man and allowed him to fly off of these stairs and fall onto this table. And then I just laughed. I'm like, you know what? 
credit to you, Bam Bam Bigelow. This this is the dude I remember from from Major Pain. Like he's he's a hell of an actor. <laughs> we then go back out to the arena where Hardcore Champs three count make their way out wearing Fubu jerseys. I wrote in all caps Fubu. <laughs> Before the boys can sing, out come Fit Family Brian Knobs. And the mystery third man from last week, Nate. Remember last week they teased that they had a they had a third man coming. Yes, this this is almost as exciting as the original NWO reveal or the uh, Kings of Sport with with our three man booth back in the day. Well, that third man was the dog. <laughs> the dog is Al Green, who we saw a couple weeks ago, quite literally playing a dog <laughs> it's a it's a pretty disappointing backup to the point that you're like why would you even like tease the surprise and this being the surprise well uh he was not the first choice to be the third man uh it was supposed to be sabu wcw.com even went so far as to write a story about his return before paul Heyman saw the story and reminded sabu that he still had an ecw contract that he had to fulfill thus WCW scrambled and decided to make Al Green a canine. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Is the dog a suitable replacement for Sabu? I'm going to say no. <laughs> um, and I'm going to say thank you, Paul Heyman, for saving Sabu from the spot. Oh, man. I, you know, I've, as, a, as a viewer of WCW in, in 2000, that might have changed my entire view on the company because I, I was and still am a, a, a mark for Sabu. So much, in fact, that... Uh, Probably at it. It wasn't a nitro party, but it was some type of gathering uh, back in the year 2000. Me and a buddy of mine uh, from high school, we had a couple friends over, and you know we were uh, enjoying some adult beverages and, and watching some wrestling. And 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 I don't know why, but uh, we decided to actually start wrestling. And oh, me, no. in, in my infinite wisdom, I'm like, you know what? You know, because we had guys doing the Hogan stuff or doing the Ultimate Warrior stuff. I'm like, you know what? These are these aren't real fans. I'm gonna take it up a notch and show them my expertise. So I went and grabbed one of my buddies. Uh, his daughter had like a little tea set, and I grabbed the chair from the tea set, and I set it up, and I went to run and jump off of the chair. <laughs> and as I jumped, as I was in midair, I said Sabu, but. The chair was not a steel chair, so it did not really support my weight at the time. So I think I'm thinking I'm going to do this great Sabu Arabian leg drop or face buster or whatever coming off of this chair. But instead, the plastic chair buckles under my weight and I end up <laughs> falling on the back of my head. So that was a that was the closest I ever came to being a professional wrestler. How how drunk were you, Nate? Oh, I, I remember the Nikolai Vodka story from uh, the Kings of Sport. Yes. This was after drinking probably about maybe a fourth of that bottle. Oh, boy. Of cheap vodka. Even after that story, Nate, I think you would have been a better third man than the dog was. <laughs> so the dog, he's foaming at the mouth, and Brian Knobs puts a hood over his head, which calms him down long enough for Finley to take off his collar. The dog then storms the ring and goes after Evan Courageous, who he'll be facing in a singles match here. Three Count then triple-teamed the dog until Finley and Nobbs jump in the ring. The dog then stares down the camera to reveal that he has red contacts in. Brian Nobbs and Fit Finley then perform Pity City to Evan on the outside because Fit Finley is a babyface against Three Count, but a heel against Van Puro. 
Shane and Shannon run in, which causes everyone to get back in the ring. There's more interference. Evan gets knocked off a turnbuckle, and the dog hits a top rope power slam for the win. The dog then begins biting Evan's ear after the match, but the feeling tickles Evan, who can't stop laughing during this brutal attack. All of this sucked. This was fucking awful. My exact note was uh, the dog versus three count, dot, dot, dot. Meh. Man, it's positive. That that that's like a positive compared to, to Nate. That's the luxury you get. You get to write "meh" down as a note. I don't get that luxury over here. <laughs> heavy, heavy is the head that wears the crown, Brian. Man, <laughs> backstage, Gene Okerlund once again, and this time he is joined by Team Package. Gene starts by asking Luger about his upcoming match against Sting at Uncensored. Luger says he's looked high and low, and the coward Sting is nowhere to be found. Gene asks Rick about the health of his son, David. Rick says that David is 21 and can take care of himself. This actually got a pop from the crowd. (laughs) Flair says that hinting tonight is just an obstacle on the road to Hulkamania. We then get the Nitro Girls dancing in the ring as Tony plugs that this weekend tickets will go on sale for the April 10th Nitro in Denver, Colorado. That would, of course, end up being the infamous Nitro that would see the return of Russo and Bischoff, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Backstage, Sid Vicious is shown talking down Vampiro outside. Back in the arena, Jeff Jarrett comes out with three NWO biddies. Like he does every week, Jeff sends the women to the back. Jarrett says that he needs a new partner for tonight since Heavy D was arrested by Chapel Hill's inbred cops. Jarrett says he wants someone who can meet Sid eye to eye, so he brings out the wall. This crowd gives less than half a fuck because this reveal means that they paid to see two wall matches in one night. (laughs) Backstage, Idol and Lane, who apparently have been flown to Chapel Hill for zero reason, as they discuss rats and debate ways to kill time for the rest of the show. So apparently Nitro is like the last two hours of a long workday for these two. Just then, Idol and Lane stumble upon the demon's casket and start to get some ideas. Back in the arena, the heel Ric Flair enters to nothing but cheers. This is Flair country, and they are not going to—there is not a boo to be heard in this arena— Henny comes out, and Flair tries to get some heel heat on the mic by saying they should be wrestling at Duke instead of Chapel Hill. However, this crowd still cheers him. <laughs> which, which is great, because two days before this Nitro, UNC played Duke. Duke beat UNC. They're bitter rivals, and, and despite all that, they still cheered. That's impressive. <laughs> These two more or less uh, have the same matches last week. Chop, back body drop, Flair begging off, and then poking Henning's eyes. Flair then begins working on the knee to set up for a figure four. After some brawling on the floor, Rick is able to get the figure four in the center of the ring, but Henning is able to turn the hold over, and Rick breaks it. Luger runs in and distracts Henning, which allows Flair to attack Henning from behind. However, Kurt lands the Henning plex and gets a clean pin. After the bell, Luger and Flair beat on Henning with a baseball bat. Arn Anderson then comes down and saves Henning. Arn stands over Henning, and Flair tells him to leave the ring. Luger then sneaks up behind Arn to hit him uh, with the bat, but Flair shakes his head no at Luger, saving his longtime friend. Flair shook him up. Flair shook his head, and the package put the bat down. Flair shook his head now and told the total package not to do it. He was going to watch Anderson from behind. I, I don't think it requires any qualification. This was the best segment on the entire show. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It, now, the match itself, it wasn't Flair Perfect from 93. I, I mean, considering what else was on the show, it matches the night, question mark? 
oh, hey, yeah, match of the night. Like, there's no, there's no denying it. Match, match of the <laughs> week for them, and that's without me having seen any of Thunder. Yeah, I, I think that this was the closest thing to coherent quality wrestling that we saw on the show. Uh, the only thing that I didn't like, and I, I want, I'd love to get Marcus's thoughts on this because, uh, you know, we, we talk all the time on the, on the Kings of Sport about players coming up in the clutch and, and players stepping up in big moments. What the hell was Arn Anderson doing at the end? Like, he came in for the save, but still allowed Kurt Hennon to get his arm stepped on. He's like a, a like two steps too late. Like, he came out after David got his ass beat. He comes in after Perfect sort of beat up. It's just like, dude, come on, get to it. Like, what are you doing out here? If you're not going to step in, then what good are you? Now, a lot can happen during a Nitro match, and we get proof of that as we go backstage to find that Lane and Idol have found a blowtorch and are welding the demon's casket shut. (laughs) Their fun doesn't last long, though, as the demon emerges from behind them and attacks both men. The numbers are just too much to overcome, though, as Lane throws a production blanket over the demon's head and the tag team beats him up. So this segment ends with the demon passed out under a blanket, which is exactly what I wanted to do after watching it. Which was worse, this or him filling out a police report for his stolen gear a couple weeks ago? Uh, this, because at least with the stolen gear, well, no, no, I take that back. The police report, because he was in his boxes the whole time, if I recall. No, he had his gear on, but he did look like a total pussy by <laughs> filling out a police report. <laughs> but yeah, neither, neither one was, was a good look for uh, one Dale Torborg, because, yeah, like like he comes back, Catches these guys using a blowtorch for whatever reason on his uh, sarcophagus. And uh, instead of taking care of these dudes, he ends up getting beat down. And, and so it's like, yes, I, I've long since stopped caring about the demon. Uh, I didn't even really care about the demon in 2000. So it didn't change my opinion of the dude one way or the other. But if you're actually somebody who was a fan of Kiss and happened to be a fan of this character on Nitro, the past month has not been a good look for your hero. Can I just mention something about Mr. Uh, Del Torbert here? By all means. This man went to Northwestern University. This, he, he's, he's smarter than probably everyone in the back, and he's out here wrestling as a demon. Well, he definitely, I would say out of everyone we've seen on the show so far, he's had the most successful post-wrestling career probably, right? I know he was doing, he was doing some, some baseball stuff. Is he still doing? Uh... I think he's still like a, a, a pitching coach for like a major league team, right? Oh. Yeah, I know. I know for a while he was he was uh, with the White Sox because like strength and conditioning. Let me see yeah. what he's doing now. Yeah, because that was the deal when he went to TNA because it was like Torborg and AJ Przinsky versus somebody. Maybe Eric Watts was thrown into that terrible uh, angle into TNA. But yeah, he was he was the strength and conditioning coach for the White Sox. Looks like as of 2015, he was still with the White Sox. So hmm, next time I'm in Chicago. You have to have lunch with the demon. Yeah, I have to write a story on the demon. Where are they now? We then get more highlights from the Nitro Party. Ricky describes the debauchery at Club Shakers, and it honestly sounds like a teenage slumber party. So we're doing our little Nitro Party here in North Carolina, right? We got some Nitro girls dancing. We're eating pizza and pizza. The guys in three count over there teaching everybody the three count dance, which is called the... The three-count dance. Did you notice who was uh, front and center in, in this uh, second Nitro Party hit? Uh, yes. Was it Teo? <laughs> <laughs> yes, our favorite, our favorite Nitro girl, Teo, <laughs> otherwise known as uh, Shay. Do you, want, do you want to explain that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the 
we went into this long diatribe about the Nitro Girls uh, with Chris Sobranowitz. And uh, I, I spoke of my love for the Nitro Girls, in particular, uh, my love for Teo, uh, who I thought was the Korean Nitro Girl. But it uh, turns out I was being a little bit racist. And it wasn't Tao, it was Shay. Shay Ann is the Korean Nitro Girl. Tao is the black Nitro Girl that time forgot. Because I, like, I don't remember her being around after like 98, 99. Like, she wasn't, she wasn't uh, a prominent member of the Nitro Girls. Probably had creative differences. Do you think there's an alternate timeline where Tao married Booker? <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's like, that could have been me. <laughs> I, I could have been the one getting kissed by the boogeyman at WrestleMania. <laughs> we go backstage where Henning is in the back of an ambulance being diagnosed with a broken wrist. Yes, I can feel you. All right, don't move. Well, I think you, I think you might have broken your wrist. No, there. yeah. Elsewhere, Flair and Luger celebrate breaking Henning's wrist. I couldn't have done it all without you. Oh, You've broken Sting's hand. You've broken Hogan. Henning's a Henning voucher. He looks bad. He's a hurt man. He's beat. We go back out to the arena for another match where Lane reveals his reason for being in town tonight. He's having a singles match with Norman Smiley. As Lane and Idol walk down the aisle, they hug a female fan and inform the camera that she's a rat, which I'm sure she greatly appreciated. <laughs> Smiley enters with the easiest cheap pop imaginable, a Michael Jordan UNC basketball jersey. Idol is on commentary, ignoring the match and explaining what rats are. What exactly are these rats? All of our female friends, come on. You've seen them chasing us. I thought you were an exterminator in your spare time. No, no. Norm attempts a big wiggle, but Lane kicks him right in the balls. Lane goes for a top rope corkscrew, but no one gives a fuck as Miss Hancock comes down at the exact same moment. An arena full of whistles encourages Hancock to dance on the announcer's table. Miss Hancock on the broadcast table. There's something going on in the ring. I'm not sure what. It's a roll-up by Lane. Everyone is ignoring the match, which ends fairly quickly when Norman gets the cross-faced chicken wing for the submission win. Lane and Idol then beat up on Smiley, but the demon runs down and makes the save. Smiley and Demon then clear the ring and celebrate together. So I guess the uh, the feud they had a couple weeks ago about Norman stealing his gear has been dropped, and uh, this is the beginning of the Screaming Demons tag team. Norman Smiley, the best. And listen, Cassius Ono, if you're going to wear the basketball jersey, you got to wear it like Norman Smiley. Get something that fits you. <laughs> and Norman's oh. down in NXT. You think you would tell him? You would tell him, hey, look, look at the tapes, man. This is how I used to wear in 2000. Norman Smiley is great, and it's so so underutilized on this show. Like, I know he's good in this little comedy role, but I feel like there's so much more they could have done with this dude if if they had had the, the foresight. Because obviously he's a great— Or if, in, he, was, in, if he wasn't black, Nate. I, mean, I, I thought you were going to say if he wasn't British, but oh. he, he's well, one he, applies in this. He's black first and British. He's like Seal. <laughs> I was uh I, I think you're right though. There was a lot more they could have been doing with him. I actually think he was such a great comedy character, but he's not even handled well as a comedy character. Like if you think about a guy like Santino, right? When Santino would come out, he would have segments that were booked around his comedy, that were booked around his gimmick. And they don't even do that with Norman. Like a lot of times he's an afterthought. Sometimes he's just a jobber. Sometimes I mean essentially he's just a dance occasionally. And that's all they've really ever invested into him. But it's a shame because he's someone who actually has charisma and he has a few things that are over that you actually could sort of build. And 
not to put down another guy who's actually not on the show, so it's the only time we'll be talking about him, but a dude like Ernest Miller, who was always, I think, pushed past his in-ring ability. And can you imagine if they had given a little bit of that, that Ernest Miller attention over to Norman Smiley? Yeah, I mean, if only Norman Smiley could teach Eric Bischoff's kids uh, karate. That's where he fucked up. He didn't work in a strip mall in Marietta, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) We get Mean Gene one more time. He winds up Sid Vicious and lets him go with a whisper yell promo. So you say 13, you say 12, you say 11, you say 10, I say final judgment day for you, Jeff Jarrett! In the wall, we're gonna take you all away. Let's see what you got. Elsewhere, Tank Abbott shows up to work over an hour late. Tony informs us that Tank is not scheduled to be here, so I guess he's covering someone else's shift. In the ring after the break, Tank Abbott is standing to a chorus of Goldberg chants. Abbott explains why he lost to Sid last week. He couldn't hold a candle to my jock strap. The only reason why I tapped wow. is because they were gonna take me off TV. Well, you can't take me off the TV, can you? So the shoot fighter is cutting a shoot promo. Tank says he isn't leaving this ring, and they'll have to surrender the show to him. It, it was short, but it was not sweet. Uh, Tank <laughs> should not be speaking for himself. He needs a mouth. What, what was wrong with him? I, 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 I was mesmerized by this promo. He just comes across is so nervous and they gave him way too much info to memorize i imagine if this is like this is how i would respond if i was tossed on the television without any training just like a nervous wreck just trying to get all my words out without stumbling it, it was just it was fascinating well my, my think my my favorite line was he was like uh you know you'd be in trouble if i were in shape but i'm in shape like huh? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> like the, oh tank abbott like Marcus, you missed it. It, it. I think, what was it, two or three weeks ago, Brian, where they did the sit-down interview with Tank? And that was good because, like, he wasn't in front of a live crowd and it was edited. They did a they did a great job of kind of packaging this guy to make you feel – like, it, it felt like a, a pre-current-day UFC package piece. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was just Tank Abbott and I think it was Mike Tanay. And it came across so well and made Tank look so credible – uh, but then when you get him in a situation, like you said, where he's not the greatest extemporaneous speaker in the world. And so you're going to get cluttered lines and you're going to get, you know, just this this presentation of a guy that doesn't feel like a big deal when they're trying to tell us that he's a big deal. So Tank has declared the ring is his yard. He's not going to be moving. And out comes Laparka for what is just the next scheduled match. The chairman attempts to lay out Tank with a chair, but Abbott ducks and knocks out Laparka. This then brings out Doug Dillinger and security, but they will not go near Tank Abbott. Ming then comes out, but J.J. Dillon is there, and <laughs> they stop him. And Dillon, for whatever reason, tells Ming that WCW will dock him 60 days pay <laughs> if he goes in the ring. So security pushes Ming to the back, and then Abbott just leaves. <laughs> So a pretty short-lived sit-in from Tank here. I don't know why Ming would have been like disciplined for going into the ring. I, I, I guess I'm. I, I. This was the one segment. It's the first time I've had this on this show. This struggle where I watched it and I honestly asked myself, "How did you get here?" I do not understand how someone sat down and was able to get to this point as what should happen in this segment. Are you guys familiar with the uh, military alphabet? 
Uh, yeah, I've I've seen a shield match. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, when I was watching this, like after after all this took place, my my first reaction was whiskey tango foxtrot man because this didn't make any sense. You had Tank who said, "I'm going to commandeer Nitro and the show's going to come to a grinding halt and nothing's going to get me out of this ring." And then at the end of the segment, he just walks away and we never see him again. And then you got J.J. Dillon threatening to dock Ming 60 days worth of pay, which I think, Marcus, you probably have more experience with human resources than I do. Uh, like that, that seems like something that would be excessive. And Ming would have a case to, uh, you know, file a complaint against J.J. It's not like you, you know, shove Vincent Manners or anything like that. So, yeah, it's a little excessive. Back from break, we then get a Hulk Hogan promo. And this was a Hulk Hogan promo to end all Hulk Hogan promos. <laughs> Because Hogan just decided to not participate in the build for this strap match at all and is instead literally mailing in his promos from what appears to be a Sears portrait studio. (laughs) Not only that, Hogan is no longer wearing his cast. I guess banging a broken limb against a metal fence really speeds up the recovery a couple weeks ago. Hulkster, now holding two weightlifting belts, explains how important it is to have flexibility in your wrist for a Yapify strap match. I'm not going to do a line-by-line recap of this infamous promo. Instead, it's probably best to just allow the audience to experience it for themselves. First things first, I want to let Dr. Proper know. I want to let Dr. Unger know and Dr. Hughes know that the release forms have been signed. You guys are not responsible for the last couple fractures in the forearm, brother. The main priority in the Yapapai Indian strap match is to have flexibility on the wrist that you're strapped to your opponent with, brother. Because in the Yapapai Indian strap match, when you're in the four corners of the battle zone, the main priority is, is to get the body in the proper position for the strapation dudes. When I get Ric Flair right where I want him, when I get him out of wind, sucking air, sweating from head to toe, I will call to the strap master Jimmy Hart on ringside. And I will say, Jimmy Hart at ringside, give me Yapapai Indian punishment. Strap number one. As I strap your body, Rick Fire, as you scream to the heavens for mercy, as I see your skin start to bubble off your body, you will drop your knees and you will say, Please, Mr. Hogan, please, I can't take it anymore. Please, I'm sorry I crossed the line. And as I hear you beg for mercy, Ric Flair, that's when I'll call to the strap master, Jimmy Hart, for Yapapai Indian strappage number two. That's when the heavier belts will come out. That's when I will strap your skin and the flesh will bubble. That's when the flesh will start to peel from your hide. And as I see the raw pink meat on your back, brother. I'm going to take it to another level. I will transform from Hulk to Hollywood. I will double strap you with both fists, and you will scream to the heavens, please, Hollywood, don't hurt me anymore, and I will never stop. Was this the first time both of you guys had seen it in full, or was this something you were familiar with before? I've seen the match. I have not seen the promo. Well, I will certainly say this promo was better than the match. <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've seen the promo in many, many years, and I forgot how 
insane it was and and the the whole strap man jimmy hart the the master of the strap had me strap number one and when that's done i'll go strap number two and then i'll go hollywood or i'll go hulk and i'll hit you with both straps and i'm like "Mm, terry you've outdone yourself it it got oddly sexual at one point where he's like i'm gonna double strap you and fist you or something it's like oh hulkster's really gotta pick out his uh his verbiage there and marcus real quick i i need to know your reaction how how did you react when you heard hulk hogan say those magical words yabba pie strap mats well my first thought was this can't be a road tribe can it and then um <laughs> my second thought was if this is a road tribe where were the protests um this shit is offensive as hell, man. Like, real or not, like, the fact that he's just using a quote-unquote Indian tribe and then they've created this match around it. Uh, I mean, granted, it's 2000 when, when everything was, was cool and kosher, but 2017, if you try to pull off this promo now, it probably wouldn't fly. Is it better that he created some fake Indian tribe by just throwing together words that he thought sounded Native American? Or... <laughs> Which is better, just pulling something out of your ass or actually bringing uh, some sort of shame to an existing tribe? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think making it up, he, he probably thought it was real. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, no, I fully think that he just, like, said something wrong the first time, they, the, the first take, and he just didn't change it afterwards. Yeah, I think that's more offensive, the fact that he thought he just <laughs> make up a name and, and roll with it and it being cool. Like, uh, that shit's not cool, man. Yeah, probably in the long run, it, it, yeah, it was better that he that he came up with this bogus Indian tribe rather than you know having to be the Cherokees or, or the Blackfeet uh, or something of that nature. Because yeah, then then you you probably would have people just like protesting because like yeah, the, we don't want to be associated with with this nonsense. Oh, no one was watching WCW two thousand. There would have been no protesting. <laughs> the other thing though, like this this is a long tradition. Of uh, and and you would know Brian being uh, the one most connected to you know the the TV and film industry. Uh, you know this is a longstanding tradition of white man goes to some ethnic mystical place. Whether you're talking about Hulk Hogan going to the Yavapai tribe or or Stephen Strange finding the mystical powers or. or Danny Rand becoming the Iron Fist by by messing with the people over there in Tibet. Uh, you know the the, the or, or who was it? Was it uh, was it Tom Cruise that was the last samurai? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, d- d- despite being a white man in, in feudal Japan, like th- this long-standing tradition of white man goes to a place where he's like the the outsider in this mystical culture, and then masters whatever the hell these people have been doing for thousands of years. Was there a question in all that? That's not American, Nate. What, what's your point? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's a question or if that was just a rant, but I want people to know Hulk Hogan out here appropriating Native American culture, real or, 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 or imagined, is, is not cool. I know. First, uh, he steals their skin tone, and now he's, he's stealing their, <laughs> their strap mat traditions. He, he didn't steal the woman, though. He stayed away. <laughs> Back out in the arena... Kidman and Tori make their way out as Tony says that the Yapapai Indian strap match is going to be worth the price of admission. Spoiler, it, it was not. We are then shown footage of Thunder, where Kidman and Booker lost a tag match to the NWO. Kidman's opponent for the night is Stevie Ray, accompanied by Jay Biggs. However, once Stevie gets to the ring, he calls out Big T and Cassius, who is a laughable sight. Uh, it is tough to <laughs> overshadow Big T, but Cassius found a way to do it literally 
this dude would bring a tear to Scott Putsky's eye. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, I mean, Cash's muscles were not the only thing inflated about him. How much money do you guys think this dude was making in WCW in 2000? Ooh. For the year? Uh, for the year. Keep in mind, he only wrestled six matches ever for this company, but he's big. I'm going to say he made 250 And, uh, Nate, what do you think uh, – Four by four caches here made. Uh, I'll double it and go five hundred. He was making four hundred thousand dollars a year. Four hundred pounds, four hundred thousand dollars made sense to me. <laughs> by comparison, Kidman was making three hundred thousand. Wow, <laughs> he did. Have, he did have Tori Wilson. So, so the underpaid yeah. Kidman gets on the mic and says that he's got a partner to back him up. Harlem Heat attacks Kidman and outruns Booker for the save. Booker hits an axe kick and a spin rooney as the announcers ask whether or not this is a tag match, and then they just assume that it is. Kidman lands a top rope elbow drop on Big T, but Cassius pulls the referee out to prevent the count. Stevie then lays out Kidman and puts Big T on top, leading to a pinfall. So the new Harlem Heat wins the match. Cassius then rolls in under the bottom rope and honestly <laughs> struggles to get to his feet due to his ridiculous <laughs> size. He has to crawl, he has to like crawl up on the ring ropes. And uh, after the match, uh, Harlem Heat just beat up on Kidman and Booker. Uh, not much of, the, of a match here. Utterly confusing. I will say, though, I had never seen Kidman wearing full jeans. These were not the jorts. These were full pants. I guess he ran out of time to, to cut the legs <laughs> off. I got distracted <laughs> because this match wasn't great. So I started searching Clarence Mason and discovered that he's now at, actually a practicing attorney in Florida. So wow. I, searched him, I searched him on Facebook. And we have two mutual friends. So Herman Stevens, if you're listening to this. Holla at your boy. Uh, he's, in, he's in Delray Beach. So if you ever get jammed up in Florida, hit up Herman. He can probably save you. Yeah, I think he, he probably was the best part of this segment with him and uh, Mark Madden going back and forth. And Madden, like, I, I, I understand the struggle, brother. And, and uh, Jay Biggs is out there. You know, we've been held back. We've been pushed back. We've been put back. All kind of backs. It's like, <laughs> I, I, I think Jay Biggs was, again, Talk about underused people. Yes, this was a terrible angle and probably a terrible idea to add these people to Harlem Heat, which when you think about it, like Stevie Ray was the big guy in Harlem Heat. Booker was the quick guy. But now you 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 take Book, you take Stevie, and he's got to be the quick guy because you've got Big T and Cash on, on opposite sides of him. Oh, yeah. Now it's just big guys. It's just big yeah. guys. Uh, but Jay Biggs to me was somebody that I think they could have gotten a lot more mileage out of because he he definitely like the the few times we've seen him uh, on this run, Brian he's he's he hadn't really disappointed yet. In the NWO lounge, Jarrett tells the Wall that tonight is his chance to be great. We then go back one more time to Club Shakers, where Ricky interviews Evan Courageous, who is holding a pool cue despite not being near a pool table at all. Evan and the rest of the three count gives maybe the least charismatic promo of their entire lives. That's right, Ricky. We're going to be right here. But let me remind you, everybody, I go down to three count. Dustin Rhodes, wearing head-to-toe black leather and carrying barbed wire, comes out to the ring. Rhodes says that no matter what he does to Terry Funk, he keeps getting up because he's a stupid, idiotic old fart who still cares what these ungrateful fans think. Terry Funk then comes out with a plastic garbage bag. Funk says that Dustin is a chicken choking peckerhead, which I don't think means what Terry Funk thinks it means. 
Funk says he has Dustin's baby brother in this plastic bag. However, instead of pulling out Cody Rhodes, Funk pulls out a raw chicken. Funk then tosses the raw chicken at Dustin. Dustin responds by throwing powder in Funk's face and pile-driving him twice. Dustin then attempts a powerbomb, but Funk low-blows him and scoop-slams Dustin onto the barbed wire. Terry then wraps Rhodes in the barbed wire, and Dustin runs to the back. Funk then triumphantly swings the raw chicken over his head, sending Salmonella and E. coli into the front couple of Rhodes. What a violent edition of TNT Monday Nitro! There's your chicken! This was just flat-out fucking gross. I, 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 I hope they disagree. changed the mat after this. That, that, there was no foul. way they did. No way they changed that mat. I think the chicken was the highlight of the segment. I, I, I think uh, Terry Funk is a visionary and a genius, and the fact that he threw a, a real raw chicken at another human being just made me laugh in a way that I hadn't laughed since uh, your man Bam Bam took that bump earlier in the show. <laughs> was there not like a Kroger Near the Dean Dome, they couldn't get a rotisserie chicken. This had to be a raw chicken. Clearly, or they went a, to a, a grocery a store. Bad, at least. I mean, yeah, yeah, clearly they went bag. to a grocery store to buy this thing early in the day. They didn't have cooked ones laying around. <laughs> uh, no, it's not as funny if, if the chicken is cooked. It, it's you know, it's, there's degrees, there's levels to this, Brian. Man, like the raw chicken is is what what makes it so funny. Maybe, maybe it was also a subtle shot at Monday Night Raw. Do you think Dustin was like? Uh, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm old school. I'm going to take this chicken hard way. None of that cook shit. <laughs> uh, Dustin Rhodes. D- Dustin Rhodes was, uh, he's interesting at this time frame, Brian, man. Like he, really? That, that is not the word I would use. <laughs> he, like his fashion choices. We talked a couple yes. weeks ago about his fashion choices. And this week, he kind of came out looking like a cross between a a bootleg undertaker and somebody that's into you know sadomasochism oh he's in full leather daddy gear <laughs> so I, I i i was uh kind of uh intrigued by that but then also the the promo here because i i had forgotten from the last show that dustin was the heel in this because terry funk has not been a likable baby face up to this point so when dustin started started going off on the crowd it kind of caught me by surprise what caught me by surprise was that Dustin Rhodes is back in WCW. I forgot about Goldust leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. And um, that dude had he's had more stints with the WWE than probably any current modern wrestler. Correct? I mean, he every time he looked, he's he's either gone or coming back. Well, I guess even Road Dog and and Billy Gunn only left the once and came back. Yeah. Whereas this guy was there, then WCW, then there again, then back to WCW, then back, then TNA, then back, then just gone for a while, and then back. Yeah, he's he's been uh, everywhere, man. Oh, so, you, so you missed it, Marcus. If this is their first time seeing Dustin on uh, Nitro, you've missed the great PSAs we've had to endure week after week. I have, yeah. So I have to go back and uh, watch that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going back and watching anything well, hey, since hey, 2000. Hey, kids, this is Dustin Rhodes, and... Wrestling is fun and all, but uh, you know, leave this leave this rough stuff to the pros. <laughs> it is main event time, and Jeff Jarrett comes out with the NWO biddies. Jarrett says he'll give the people what they want, and he'll let the girls stay at ringside. He then reconsiders and sends them to the back. What a heel! <laughs> Vampiro and Sid come out. Sid brawls around with the wall for a while as Vampiro and Jarrett actually wrestle in the ring. Sid and the wall eventually make it to their corners, and Sid gets a hot tag. Sid chokeslams Jarrett, but the wall breaks up the penitent. 
The Wall then knocks Vampiro out of the ring, and Sid knocks Jarrett out of the ring. Wall and Sid then go for simultaneous choke slams on each other. Sid accidentally knocks down the referee by just wildly flailing his arm, allowing Jarrett to lay him out with a guitar. Jarrett then pins Sid, and the ref counts three. That's a hat trick! Jeff Jett for the third time has pinned Sid Vicious! And now the wall chokes Liz Vampiro off the ring apron! Tony, Jeff Jarrett is going to be the champ! In 13 days, he'll get a chance to prove it! Right now, he has hijacked the world heavyweight title belt! Will March 19th be Jeff Jarrett's moment? Yes! <sighs> <laughs> well, the good thing is I was happy it was over at this point. Um, <laughs> that that was, was a positive. That, I was happy it didn't linger. Like as soon as the match was over, all right, guys, see you next week. I say, like, great, yeah, perfect for, for you, Marcus. You're done. You're out of here. Not so great for us. So I guess Nate, did this get you more excited for uncensored? <laughs> uh, it, it most certainly did not, and I think uh, I, I don't know what it is about these main events because outside of maybe Hogan and Flair, none of these main events have felt like main events. I can't remember the last main event on this show that felt like um, it might, maybe Brett and Kevin Nash was like built to be a main event, but the match wasn't anything special. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, the, the last one we did, Sid and Tank, like that was built up and felt like a main event. I will actually applaud that one. To be fair, how many main events on Raw in 2017 actually feel like main events? Not a lot. Though, one major judgment I will give this. Uh, Nate, do you realize that a streak was broken on tonight's show? Hmm. I, I do not. Uh, I, I'm not aware that a streak was broken. So, so enlighten me as well as the listeners, Brian May. This was the first Nitro that we have reviewed without a limousine. I mean, to be fair, though, they, they, they took that limousine budget money and spent it on raw chicken. And the paramedics. And the police. And a blowtorch as well. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> There's a blowtorch. It's <laughs> a lot of props in this episode. Cheese sandwiches. Yeah, they, they, they went all out. I think what was the saddest that they didn't have a limo this week was when uh, Liz, Luger, and Flair showed up just walking down the loading dock backstage. <laughs> but here you have to see, like, your two biggest heels just like, hey, here we are. We're uh, 15 minutes late. We uh, carpooled. <laughs> Not a stellar uh, episode. I this is. I think this is going to be our toughest stretch to get through, Nate. I'm looking forward to that, that spring break nitro, and I'm looking forward to Russo and Bischoff being here. But, God, this build to Uncensored is just killing me. Yeah, this these are the definitely the doldrums of uh, Nitro in 2000. Like it's it's waiting on something to happen. And like I said, I'm looking forward to the Russo Bischoff reset. Even though we know how it turns out, I think <laughs> reviewing those shows, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna have things to talk about and things to be excited about. And, and uh, unfortunately, this week, uh, outside of the uh, the event taking place at the Dean Dome and, and, you know, having fond memories of ACC games gone past. Uh, I, I wasn't excited about a lot going into this week's episode. I, I think the one thing that stood out to me was sort of the lack of star power. Um, for someone who stopped watching WCW in 1999, there are a lot of new faces, and those faces didn't exactly turn into superstars. So, um, yeah, you have your flares, and I guess you can count 
Jeff Jarrett in this scenario, but uh, there are a lot of guys like The Wall and The Dog and any other character has The in the title um, that you're wondering, like, this is what, you know, this is the best they had to offer in 2000? I mean, they had better, but they, they, they were not there. <laughs> but you mentioned the best that we have to offer, and... This is this is that time. This is where we have to choose our silver linings. Now, uh, Marcus, if you haven't listened to the show before, this is where we have to pick one unabashed positive, something no qualification, something that we say is a good thing on this episode. And we'll let you go first as the guest. What was your silver lining on this episode of Nitro? My silver lining, Ming. Did you see his hair? His hair was great. As someone who has curly <laughs> hair, his hair was on point. So my silver lining is whoever bought conditioner for me and uh took care of that before the show (sighs) for me brian and this might be a shock to some of the listeners out there my silver lining was the character of mark madden what oh no and i'll i'll tell you i'll tell you why because i think this might have been the first week since mark madden's been on the desk that we haven't had the overt sexual oh i disagree quote-unquote jokes in nate's defense marcus (laughs) This is much. This is not as bad as it was. The, the first month of of his tenure, there's always some reference to like pedophilia. So oh. someone took him. Someone <laughs> took him to the side and said, "Hey, maybe don't have that uh, as part of your commentary." <laughs> yeah, so he's getting better. So I would say this week, the character of Mark Madden, aka Michael McDonald on a Vegas bender. Uh, that, that's my silver lining. Part of me wants to say it was Bam Bam Bigelow's flop onto uh, <laughs> onto that, <laughs> that table. Was great. I just I got to give it to Ric Flair and Kurt Henning, uh, two guys that could follow the the lead of everybody else and phone things in, but instead are actually showing up and actually caring and actually uh, putting on uh, somewhat of a decent match. And and you know what? Maybe these two guys are sleepwalking and not caring and they just they're such good wrestlers that they can sleepwalk <laughs> through a decent match. But I at least respect that they have that talent. So Rick Flair and Kurt Henning, uh the, they would be my silver lining for this episode. We have come to the end, which means we must say goodbye to our guest test subject, Marcus. Uh I want to thank you for being here this week. But uh real quick, as you're you're heading out of the satellite, we've done ten of these. We only have you know, just a handful left, just 42 more to watch. So what advice do you have for us as we continue down this lonesome road? Pace yourselves. I think, you know, if it's 20 minutes at a time, do 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off, whatever it takes to get you through these last 42 episodes. Um, (laughs) It's not going to be easy, guys, but uh, someone's got to do it. Well, thank you for being here, Marcus. And besides Kings of Sport, which obviously you and Nate host together, uh, where else can people see your work, what you're doing over at Yahoo? Uh, if they want to have more of you in their life, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on social media at Marco Will, M-A-R-C-O-W-I-L-L. And uh, thank you guys for having me on. Brian, I'm sorry that Nate doesn't see you as his favorite. That's cool. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe one day. Are you saying that you no longer want to be the favorite? Oh, no, I always want to be the favorite. Come on. <laughs> I guess that means we can uh, expect to see you back here later on the year to uh, talk about that Battle Dome invasion. Ooh, uh, daddy do guys. Can't hear you. Well, as we thank Marcus, we now obviously want to thank you, the listener, for listening because, uh, you know, oddly, people are actually doing that. People are, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, Nate, is it, is it? Is it cruel? These people are just enjoying the suffering we're going through. What What do you think motivates people to continue listening to this uh, this terrible thing we're putting ourselves through? 
Uh, well, besides the fact that uh, you and I are good at our jobs, I think people like being able to commiserate over suffering, uh, much like the Lex Luger Armbreakers Anonymous group uh, that meets after every Monday Nitro. I think the listeners appreciate that uh, there's other people out here watching this terrible, terrible product known as WCW Monday Nitro from the year 2000. And uh, they, they like that we're giving voice to the voiceless. We are kind of like the CM Punks of WCW Monday Nitro in 2000. We, we, we speak for those who cannot speak. That's as good an answer as any. Uh, you know, I, I just – maybe it's just my, my senses are being dulled by these, these episodes. But, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Why not? I think that, that, that sounds like a good enough reason. And we thank you for listening to that, even if you are just secondhand cruelty, uh, watching us slowly deteriorate mentally uh, from watching this thing. But, you know, we are going to be back uh, before you know it. If you want to catch up on old episodes, you can go over to the Law uh, Pro Boards. That's lawradio.proboards.com and binge previous episodes. Get up to date. And again, if you need more of us, you can find me online, on Twitter, on Instagram, on everything, at Brian Maxman. And Nate, where can the people find you? They can find me at, in the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K, at Nate Mosaic, uh, to uh, get my thoughts on WCW Monday Nitro. And also, uh, you know, to uh, get my further musings on the greatness of the Yapapai people. And you always do have the best musings, Nate, which is why each and every week we allow you to be the one to sign things out. <laughs> well, uh, as we close things out this week on the Satellite of Hate, want to thank the listeners again for checking us out. Uh, thanks to uh, Brother Marcus for spending some time with us this week. And I want to send a special shout-out to uh, Brother Steve Sutton uh, from the Vintage Vault podcast for uh, sending me some great insider information on WCW at the time, which uh, I might have to break out on a future installment of Keep It 2000. Uh, but as I leave you this week and as Brian and I turn out the lights here on the satellite, I want you guys to feel positive going into your week. And uh, I can think of no other way than with the words of Lone Star, which brings us back to uh, WCW, because every week I'm amazed by this show. You know, I've never been this close to anyone or anything. I can hear their thoughts. I can see their dreams. I don't know how they do what they do. WCW, I'm so in love with you. Keep It 2000 is a live audio wrestling production. Executive produced by John Pollock and edited by Brian Mann. Theme song by Chris Orbanovitz. For more shows, check out liveaudiowrestling.com or subscribe on iTunes. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this, this.